Welcome to episode two of A Year in a Day. I'm your host, Jamie Davis. In the last episode, I discussed issues related to co-parenting with Dr. Lori Thomas. In this episode, we will be discussing mediation, which is one of my personal favorite topics. In North Carolina, you have to be separated a year and a day before you are eligible to file for divorce, hence the name of this podcast. During that year, you will need to consider how you will resolve the issues arising from your separation, such as how much time the children will spend with each parent, who is going to get what property, and whether one party is going to pay support to the other party. One way you can resolve these issues with your spouse is through mediation. With me today to discuss the pros and cons of mediation is my fellow mediator and family law attorney, Lynn McNally. Lynn is a board-certified family law specialist and partner with the smith Debnam Law Firm in Raleigh. Both Lynn and I have been certified by the North Carolina Dispute Resolution Commission as family financial mediators. Welcome, Lynn. Thank you for having me, Jamie. I'm really excited about this discussion we're going to have today about mediation. So at a very basic level, what is mediation? Mediation is a process by which folks resolve their disputes, their legal disputes, without having to go to court. Um, It includes a mediator who is a neutral person. And that mediator's role is to help facilitate settlement discussions between the two parties. That mediator doesn't get to make any decisions. Um, The mediator doesn't act like a judge, but their goal is to help the parties reach some settlement of their matter. So logistically, how does mediation work? Well, I practice family law, and as you mentioned, we're both certified family financial mediators, and so my experience with mediation is largely in the realm of family law. Um, In a typical family law case, the process of mediation is that the two different parties are typically in separate rooms, and the mediator travels back and forth between those rooms carrying offers and counteroffers and helping to resolve, hopefully, resolve the case. Does the mediator ever get to make a decision? No. The mediator is not the decision maker. The parties that are involved in the mediation are the decision makers. Mediation is really great because it's one of the ways, and maybe one of the only ways, that people who are engaged in a legal dispute keep control over the outcome of their case by making their own decisions as opposed to throwing it up to a judge to make a decision. Yeah, I think that's really important that when you agree to participate in mediation, you are able to add a lot more of those fine details to your settlement. Maybe some more of the logistics about a holiday schedule or a creative property settlement. I mean, things that you're just not going to get, in my experience, if you allow a court to decide. So I I agree. I think it gives the parties a lot more control over the outcome of their case. Yeah, that's right. They, the parties are the people, the only people best suited to know what exactly their needs are. Family law cases are not one size fit all. Um, And particularly with custody, to know your children and to know what's best for them. Mediation allows you to make a much more complete agreement that suits your family's needs 
um, than a judge could make after listening to your case for several hours or several days. I mean, that's right. You know, for a lot of families, it takes both parents to get the children where they need to go. I mean, kids these days have so many extracurricular activities. Maybe a parent travels for work. Maybe they have family who lives out of state and, you know, coordinating these holidays is going to be difficult. And I think mediation really is a good way for those folks to be able to craft something that fits their family. I agree. So if you decide that mediation is right for you in a family law case, how do you go about finding a mediator? Well, uh, there are several different ways. Uh, People who have retained their own lawyers in their family law um, dispute can seek the advice of their attorneys. Um, we, as family law attorneys, mediate cases, you know, representing our, our clients in cases in mediation all the time. And we know who uh, the, the fa family financial certified mediators are. We know which ones do a great job. Um, and we're able to recommend options to our clients. In the event that neither party or one party is not represented by a lawyer and wants to engage in the mediation process. One way to find a mediator is to go to the North Carolina Dispute Resolution Commission's website, where they keep a list of certified mediators. And I believe that those uh, mediators are grouped by the kind of law that they can mediate, perhaps what they're familiar with. Those of us who are certified as family financial mediators will be designated as such on the website. So that's a great resource as well. So if you're dealing with the issues arising out of a separation, such as child custody, child support, alimony, equitable distribution, what kind of mediator do you want? Well, you need to have someone who is a certified family financial mediator. That is a person who has taken a number of hours of training, 40 I think is the, the current minimum hours of training, to be able to have that designation. And then there's an application process. Um, I, I like to choose family law attorneys uh, to perform the mediations that I attend with my clients because they have a background in family law. It's what they practice every day. They have, in most cases, familiarity with our judges and the legal system. And I feel like those folks are the ones best equipped to help facilitate a resolution. I agree. I do the same thing in my cases. I think it's really important that your mediator have an understanding of what the case might look like if it does end up in court and what could happen um, you know, a mediator is not supposed to offer legal advice to either party. That's the party's lawyer's jobs to do that. But I do think it can be helpful sometimes to have, especially as a lawyer, have another opinion about your case. Maybe this third party can point out to you some weaknesses that you hadn't thought about. Or, you know, same thing with the other side. Maybe when they're talking to the other party, they can tell them, hey, have you thought about this? You know, things that can help bring the parties together because at the end of the day, mediation is all about compromise. 
um, you walk in there thinking that you're entitled to something. The other party walks in there thinking they're entitled to, you know, the same, if not more. And throughout the day, both of you compromise to reach a resolution to the case. And I think it's really important to have someone who is familiar with a possible range of outcomes to help you through that process. Right. And well, and one of the things that I think mediators are great at doing is helping parties understand that even though that mediator might understand the law and might understand or have some experience with our judges, there are no guarantees. That's right. Court is an absolute risk and one of the goals of mediation is to manage against that risk of unknown. Well, what about for folks who don't have lawyers? Let's say they're trying to navigate this process by themselves. Do these folks need lawyers if they want to mediate their case? No, you, you do not have to retain a lawyer to engage in the mediation process. Um, there are certainly mediations that both parties are represented by legal counsel. There are mediations when one party is represented but not the other. And there are mediations when neither party is represented by legal counsel, and that's okay. So in those situations where neither person has a lawyer, does mediation look different for them? A little bit in that, assuming you reach a settlement during the mediation, your mediator is prohibited from drafting the document that embodies your settlement. The mediator can bullet point his or her understanding of what the settlement is, but one of the parties would need to go seek legal counsel to put that agreement in its final and proper form. So really, you would be leaving mediation as a pro se party, and pro se is just somebody who is representing um, him or herself with a summary of the deal. Is that fair to say? That's fair to say. And it's important to know that any settlement of any of these family law issues isn't final unless it's in a valid document um, that complies with the law. And so you can't just have a verbal agreement and you can't just have a bullet point agreement. You have to have it formalized in the appropriate way, many times with each party's signature and those signatures notarized. Um, so in a typical mediation where there is at least one lawyer involved, that lawyer can put together the document to be signed, and, and usually the goal is that it's signed and is a done deal before everybody leaves mediation that day. The difference with uh, a case where neither party is represented by counsel is that they leave with that summary that you mentioned, and they have to have somebody put it in writing so that they can sign it after the fact. It seems like that would still greatly streamline the process if the two folks have already reached an agreement about the substance of how they're going to resolve their case. And then, you know, one or both of them takes that summary to a lawyer and has the lawyer review it. You know, they've already done a lot of that legwork and agreed on the really hard parts of their case. They really just need someone who can put it in that formal document for them. So I think mediation can still be helpful for folks who do not have lawyers going into the process. Yes. Um, in your experience, how long does mediation last? Uh, well, it ranges. Um, it, it can, it, it usually lasts a lot longer than people think. Um, in my experience, a really efficient mediation with just a few 
issues can be resolved within four or five hours. Um, more complicated cases are cases where all of your issues are, are being negotiated. And by all of your issues, I mean typically custody, child support, the division of your property and debt, and whether one person owes the other any spousal support. Those mediations can last 10, 12 hours, and sometimes you don't finish it in one day. Sometimes you have to reconvene. Yeah, those can be really exhausting, but I still think they can be really productive um, and help folks reach an agreement. I think the latest I've ever been in mediation is 1 a.m. What about you? 6 a.m. Wow. Okay, you win the prize for that one. See, I think I might have decided to come back for a second session. Um, So along those lines, is mediation expensive? I mean, if we're talking about a session that can last hours and hours, how much is that going to cost? Well, good question. None of this process is terribly inexpensive. Uh, But in my experience, mediation, at least one that leads to a resolution or a narrowing of the issues, is far less expensive than having a trial. Um, Mediators, at least in we're in Raleigh, North Carolina, and in, in this particular area, our Family financial mediators um, charge an hourly rate. That hourly rate ranges between $150 an hour to $250 or $275 an hour. Um, typically, the rule is that the parties divide the cost of that mediator's fee equally. Uh, there's also a small administrative fee, usually about $150 or $175 that's charged by the mediator. And so you just do the math. If if the uh, mediation is five hours, it's five times that particular mediator's hourly rate plus their administrative fee, typically divided by two, sit, since each party is should bear his or her own fee. It does seem like a fairly cost-effective way to get a case resolved, um, especially if you get a mediator with a reasonable rate and the two of you are prepared. I think that's also really important that if you go into the mediation session not having done your homework, it's probably going to take you a little longer. I know in my practice, I try to have a first settlement offer at least put together by the time I get to mediation. Um Sometimes we're in a position where a couple rounds of offers have already gone back and forth between the parties before we get there, and that really does seem to streamline the process and make it go a little faster. Um, I agree with you, Lynn. It just depends on how many issues you have to work out. Some of these financial issues can, can take a long time because the devil is in the details, truly. And if you are trying to divide multiple financial accounts, maybe you have multiple credit card debts, you know, you got to figure out who's going to live in the house. Is somebody going to sell it? You know, that just takes time to work through all of those issues. And so to the extent you can exchange your financial documents before you get there, it really does make it go a lot faster. And I think it's more productive that way. Um, how do you know when it's over? Well, the obvious way is if a case settles, it's over when it settles. Sure. And documents are signed in most cases. There are some exceptions and there are some reasons that documents don't or shouldn't be signed that particular day. But for those cases where an impasse is reached, it, it, it just depends on the particular case. In my experience, there would come a time in the mediation where 
people were just locked in their positions um, and wouldn't move, despite any business decision conversations that I or the mediator might have. And when I say business decision conversations, we always talk about the cost of court um, versus the the thing that they are stuck about. If they're arguing over $5,000 and that's going to settle the case, then we talk to them about how if they leave that day and there is no settlement, it's going to cost way more than $5,000. So they can give up or pay $5,000 and have a firmly done deal, or they can pay their lawyer a lot more than that to roll the dice and go to court. But, But that's the, you know, hopefully... When those conversations are had, there isn't an impasse. Um, but sometimes the the sometimes it's not five thousand dollars. Sometimes it's something much larger than that. Whether it's financially larger or it, with custody related issues. Yeah, I think it's really hard to have that you know business decision conversation with someone when they are at odds over a custody schedule. Um, you know, if a parent becomes really entrenched and believes that his or her schedule is what's in the best interest of the child and the other parent disagrees, you know, in my experience, it's really hard to get folks off of that position. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really also very hard to settle in mediation or otherwise custody cases where there is a relocation or one parent lives very far away from the other because if both parents want primary time with their child, there, there's nothing that's going to, there's not a whole lot of ways to compromise that when there's a great distance between the parents. Right. It really is an all or nothing. I mean, it's whether the parent is going to be allowed to move to whatever state they want to go to or whether they're going to have to stay here. Um, And we often talk about, you know, folks and their best day in court and their worst day in court. And really, if you agree to a relocation, and you're the person who doesn't want the child to move, I mean, that really is your worst day in court. And so I think it's really hard to push somebody to um, encourage them to accept that sort of settlement when really that is the worst outcome that they could hope for. Yeah. You know, though, while while those kinds of cases might not be ideal for mediation, um, as a mediator, that's one of the times in my practice that I actually get to be creative about solutions. And as a lawyer that represents parties in mediations and court and otherwise, sometimes you get entrenched in your position. And even with those cases that are seemingly unresolvable, to have a neutral person with a fresh perspective that can be creative about ways to resolve the issue can sometimes solve the unsolvable problem. Right. That's a really good point. I mean, as the mediator, if you were able to come up with something that neither party or their lawyers has thought about, um, that can be really helpful. So along those lines, what would you say are the main benefits of mediation? Uh, well, there's so many. Um, but the main benefits, I think, are that as compared to court and a trial, um, it's far less expensive It is much more uh, time efficient. Usually those things, uh, mediation, usually things that we might take to mediation can be resolved within a day. Um, As I mentioned before, maintain control over the outcome 
of your settlement versus running the risk of a judge making a decision that doesn't really work for anybody. Because sometimes that happens. Sometimes judges don't take either party's position and they create their own outcome that nobody contemplated. So mediation, settling in mediation prevents that from happening. Right. I mean, there is always a risk if you take your case to court. You just never know what's going to happen. I mean, the judge has the authority to decide the outcome and you are allowing them to do that by taking your case to court. Mm -hmm. So I I, I agree. Mediation is really important. Yeah. And even though we have great judges who are patient and listen to things, sometimes they don't see things the way that we see them. Um, And that's normal. They hear things differently than we might intend to present them. So it's just a huge risk that, that you can avoid with mediation. In fact, there are two kinds of claims in, fa- in the family law realm that you're required to mediate before you have to go to court, and that's custody, and also your property and debt distribution. And the reason that there is that requirement um, is because it's much better to be able to reach a resolution of those things outside of court. And it also relieves the court system. As we sit here today, it could take you months um, and maybe a year or more to get in court on some issues. Um, and with mediation, you avoid that too. You know when your mediation is going to be. You go to your mediation. If it works, it's resolved that day. With court, you, there is no guarantee about when it's going to be resolved. With all of mediation's benefits, do you think there are any downsides? Uh, well, it, you mentioned before being prepared for mediation. And I think that it is a negative if one or both parties is not prepared. And by prepared, I mean have exchanged the documents that they might need to evaluate a proposal, whether those are financial documents or otherwise. Um, Those are the cases that mediation may not be fully productive because if you don't have all the information to make a reasoned or informed decision, it's hard to make that decision. But you can use the mediation process to get things that you haven't been able to get before, whether that is a financial statement whether that is some understanding from the other party as to what really it is that he or she wants. Um, So you can use the mediation process to get those things, but if you don't already have them when you go and sit down at the mediation table, the likelihood that you're going to resolve it is a little slimmer. Yeah, as one of my very wise law partners tells me back from her days in working sales, Confused people just don't buy. And so if you walk into the mediation not really having a full understanding of what the assets are, what the income is, what it is that you're being asked to accept, it doesn't make sense to you. And so you're never going to agree to that because you feel like maybe the other side is hiding something or that there's an asset they haven't disclosed. And so I agree with you, Lynn. I mean, having that document exchange is is so important before you get there that day. What about you? In your experience, are there um, certain types of cases that are not right for mediation? Um, Yeah, I think in cases where there is any sort of domestic violence, mediation 
may not work. Um, it still can. I'm not saying it doesn't work in those cases, but if there is a case with a power imbalance that already exists in the marriage, um, the person who does not have the power may not feel like they can voice their opinion about what they really want to have happen. I think having a lawyer represent you in a case like that can help mitigate that risk. Um, and if you have a lawyer there who can help advocate for your position, you know, I think it can help. But again, it's going to depend on the personality of the person and whether they are able to stand up for themselves and, and ask for what they really want to have happen. All right. That's a good point. So when you are acting as the lawyer representing a party in a mediation, how do you prepare for that? Uh, well, it, it depends in part on the issues that we are going to mediate. If the issues include property and debt distribution, then prior to going to mediation, I want to have all of the documents that I think I need to assess a proposal uh, if I get one, or to make the proposal if I'm the one that's going to be making it. And when you say documents, what types of documents are you talking about? Uh, documents that would help me determine the values of certain assets or debts. For example, bank statements for some period of time, credit card statements. If there are appraisals of property, I'd like to see those. Um, if there are businesses involved in these cases, that's a whole different podcast. Right. We probably don't have time for that today. <laughs> uh, but, but in general, um, things, documents that evidence the values of those assets and debts. Okay. So you get all those documents together and then what do you do with them? Well, I, I and I think most of my other fellow family law attorneys prepare what we call the spreadsheet. Now, the spreadsheet is very important for mediation, <laughs> for sure. And we, we create the complete list of assets and debts, uh, associating or attaching the values that we believe they have, and um, distributing those assets and debts into the columns of either the husband or the wife, whatever, whoever the two parties are so that you can determine what might be fair for your particular case, or at least how you want to start to negotiate your particular case. Right. Um, with respect to claims that in, involve support, whether it's child support or spousal support, if that's an issue, I like to see tax returns. I like to see pay stubs. Um, still, the banking account information and credit card account information is good, uh, but anything else that might evidence income that a party receives. Um, with respect to spousal support, if that's an issue, I like to see evidence of both of the parties' reasonable needs. And by that, I mean, what's your budget? Right. What do you need to live on a monthly basis? What's your mortgage payment or your rent? What's your car payment? Um, how much do you spend at the grocery store? Um, those things are very helpful, n necessary, really, in negotiating spousal support claims. And in our world, we typically call that a financial affidavit, right? We have That's our right. clients put those together, but it's basically a fancy word for budget. Exactly. Exactly. And then with respect to custody-related things, many times there aren't a whole lot of documents that you need. In some cases, there may be, but, but, there, but typically there isn't with respect to custody. So I take all of that information, I organize it, I create the spreadsheet for that case, 
And in most cases, I'd like to either prepare an initial offer and send it over in advance or get an initial offer from the opposing party in advance so that there's a place to start. Um, One of the frustrating things about mediation is that it can take some time, but that's just part of the process. And if there's a way that I can, as a lawyer, prepare to make it more efficient, then that's what I want to do. I also talk to my clients in advance of the mediation about what to expect. I want them to be comfortable. I want them to come with snacks, if that's what they need, or a blanket if they get cold. I want them to be in the space where they can be as comfortable as they can under the circumstances, be able to evaluate what the offers are and make good decisions about how to settle their case. Yeah, I think that having the client be prepared for what to expect is very important. Um, I think folks tend to get frustrated if they don't know beforehand that there's going to be a lot of downtime and that if they want to bring a computer or a book or something like that, that they can, you know, help occupy some of that free time. I think that that can be frustrating for folks. So, yeah, I agree with you. Having the client prepared for what to expect is very important. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I like to do with my clients, particularly if there has been a lawsuit filed, you know, you can mediate cases without any lawsuit being filed. That's right. Um, But sometimes a lawsuit is filed and the goal is to try and resolve it before you actually have a trial. But in those cases where there's a lawsuit pending and there's a trial date down the road, I like to use those downtimes during mediation with my client to prepare for that trial or to talk about strategy or do the next thing for their particular case so that they're actually using that time in a productive way, even though it's a downtime as far as mediation is concerned. Right. Do you prepare any differently when you are acting as the mediator? Yes. There is, in many cases, no preparation. Um, Aside from sending out your mediation agreements and making sure that people know what time to get here, uh, there isn't a whole lot of preparation as the mediator. Typically, the mediator comes into a mediation cold with no information, except for perhaps the claims that he or she might be mediating. And I think that that's, in in most cases, a good dynamic. Um, That person is supposed to be neutral. That mediator is a neutral person. Uh, They're not supposed to interject their own judgments onto the case. And when they come into the mediation fresh without having reviewed anything, I think it sort of facilitates that objectivity. Um, So I don't do a lot of substantive, if any, uh, substantive preparation if I am the mediator in a case. You mentioned a mediation agreement. What is that? Uh, As a mediator, uh, any mediator will put together an agreement for the parties to review and sign that describe what that mediator's job is and what the cost is. It's kind of like a fee agreement with your lawyer, but with the mediator. Um, So it just details the mediator's job, the mediator's role, what they're mediating and the date of the mediation, um, how the fees are paid and what the fees will be. Um, So it sort of sets the administrative boundaries for the mediation that day. So everybody knows what the rules are before they get there. That's right. 
One thing I want us to talk about that I don't think we have touched on just yet is the momentum that can be gained during a mediation. Yes. What do you think about that? Um, it, it is, people are busy. Cli- our clients are very busy. They have lives and, in many cases, children and um, jobs. Uh, we are also busy attorneys. Our mediators are, in most cases, busy attorneys. And it is hard to get everybody focused on the same thing at the same time. But when you schedule a mediation and attend a mediation, everybody's there under the same roof at the same time with the same goal, and and that's your singular focus for the day. And it can take a negotiation, which maybe could result in a settlement without a mediator, but three or four months later, and get everybody in the same place at the same time talking about it so that you can get a resolution very, very quickly. I agree with you. I mean, there really is something to be gained from the process of mediation itself. Um, The momentum can really help get the case settled. If you are not participating in mediation and, you know, your lawyer is drafting a settlement offer and sending it to the other side, even if it's by email and not just regular old snail mail, there's still going to be a delay there. And, you know, those negotiations could take months where if everybody is just there and focused on getting it done, um, I agree, it's so much quicker. And something else, even if you don't get your case settled per se, you are at least learning something about the other side's position. Um, Along those lines, though, you know, can any of these offers that are being made in mediation, can they be used against you later? No. Um, The rules are explicitly set up to protect people who participate in uh, negotiation during mediation um, and and sometimes in a larger sense negotiation period so that that you feel comfortable to compromise without the worry that it's going to come back to bite you. For example, if you are in a mediation and you make a proposal to the other party that's a compromise from what you want and your case doesn't settle, when you go to court, that compromise offer can't be used against you. The other party can't say, hey, didn't you agree to do X in mediation? It's, it's off limits. Um, so you can still go to court and take what you think is your best position without being worried that what you offered as a compromise in mediation would hurt your case. Um, it, you know, the information gathering process during mediation is kind of interesting because you're right, you get to learn about what the other party might argue. Um, You get to learn about the existence of other, perhaps, documents that you might want to need um, or to review. And you get that good information. Um, But there is this confidential nature surrounding the process, which I think is helpful for the parties. Um, One of the tactics that I employ sometimes, and I think a lot of lawyers do, is I want my mediator to know information. The more information my mediator has about the case, the more likely they are going to be able to settle the case. And mediators are great to um, learn information from one side or the other and share that information pretty freely if they think it's going to help resolve the case. If it's inflammatory, there's no need to go tell the other side because it's not going to result in in any productive discussion. 
Right, like if your client is sitting there making some snarky comment about, you know, his or her spouse, a good mediator is not going to tell that person what was said. That's right. That's right. And one of the the great things about mediation is that you can share that information that you think your mediator needs to know with a caveat that you don't want that particular piece of information shared in the other room. And your mediator is bound to honor that. Um, So you can give the mediator all the information he or she needs, um, but also protect what you don't want to get disclosed at any particular time to the other party. That's a really good point. Um, Folks always ask, am I going to have to show all my cards to the other side? And and I usually tell them no. Um, You know, your lawyer will help you decide what information you need to save for court and If your lawyer ever finds him or herself in the position of having to cross-examine the other party, they're not going to want that person to know every little bit of evidence that that we may have about the case. Um, But that's the beauty of being able to tell the mediator so the mediator knows, but the other side necessarily isn't going to find out. Um, I think this has been a really great discussion today about mediation. Lynn, thank you so much for joining us. If anyone has questions for you... What is the best way for them to reach you? I can be pretty easily found on my law firm's website, and that web address is www.smithdebnumlaw.com. That's great. Thanks again, Lynn. I hope you all enjoyed this episode of A Year in a Day. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, I would love to hear from you. Please email me at jdavis at divorcestuff.com. As a reminder, while in my role as a lawyer, my job is to give folks legal advice, the purpose of this podcast is not to do that. This podcast is for general informational purposes only, should not be used as legal advice, and is specific only to the law in North Carolina. If you have questions before you take any action, you should consult with a lawyer who is licensed in your state.